This is week number seven in our uh, study through the book of Ecclesiastes. We've entitled Under the Sun. Hey, we're up. Nice job, Dan. Yeah. Uh, I always figure when that stuff happens that uh, the enemy is up and running and he's uh, ticked and something good's going to happen. Several good things are going to happen. So think of it positively. If, he's a, if we're uh, on his radar and we're on his, uh, his uh, looking at us, that's, that's a good sign. Before we get into Ecclesiastes chapter 8, that's where we're going to be today, would you locate with me on your phone or in your Bible uh, the uh, book of Romans? We're going to look at verse uh, verses 1 to uh, 7 of chapter 13. Uh, chapter 13 of Romans, verses 1 to 7. Why are we going there? Because I want you to see how similar the words are that the Apostle Paul was inspired to write down as he writes to the church at Rome. How similar and in alignment they are with Ecclesiastes chapter 8 as King Solomon writes down what the Lord inspired him to get down. Uh, before we read together the first seven verses, I just want to give you a little snapshot. Who was the authority who was in charge of Rome at this particular time? Who was the Roman emperor who was literally the authority over most of the ancient world at this time? And uh, his name was Nero Claudius Caesar. There's a, a depiction of him. He became the Roman emperor at age 17, and he was known as a brutal tyrant. He loved the finer things. He loved riches and extravagance. But one more thing about Nero, he was very, very paranoid. He, he was sure that everyone around him was out to get him. Example, Nero had a nephew who started getting pretty popular with the family and some of the important folks around Rome. The nephew turned up dead, poisoned to death, and everybody in town knew it was Uncle Nero who had him killed. A few years later, uh, Nero was upset with his wife and his mother. Think about this. Wife and mother upset, and now they're not agreeing with him, and they're going against him in some ways. Nero had his wife and his mother executed because he was upset that they didn't agree with him on everything. So that's the kind of guy Nero was in A.D. 64, a massive fire destroyed 70% of the city of Rome. You might have heard about that. Uh, Nero blamed, any guesses who you think Nero might have blamed for that fire? Christians, followers of Jesus Christ, were his scapegoat. And he had tens of thousands of Christ followers crucified on Roman crosses, usually on the major thoroughfares, the major roads, so everybody would see the Christians on the crosses. He also liked to dip thousands of followers of Jesus in pitch, tar if you will, and then he would light them on fire as human candles, again, all along the major roads. And the other 
favorite uh, thing that Nero did to get back at the people he was blaming, who really didn't start the fire, uh, Christians in the Colosseum, he would uh, have them uh, be the food for the wild beasts. And they were devoured in front of thousands of people who were cheering on followers of Jesus getting martyred. Most scholars, now think about this, believe that within three to seven years after Paul wrote Romans 13, within three to seven years, Nero would crucify Peter upside down on a Roman cross. And Nero would have the head of the Apostle Paul taken off his body. So he, he writes these words, understand? And now in three to seven years, uh, Paul's going to die at the hands of Nero. So just want you to know, uh, this was the chief governing authority that Paul is going to write about here in Romans 13. And I just want you to know, compared to the folks that Paul had to deal with in the church at Rome, I'm just telling you, uh, none of us have much to complain about when it comes to our authorities. Compare. But this is who he's talking about. This is the setting for Romans 13, verses 1 to 7. I'm going to read it. Uh, you can follow along. We're going to stand in just a moment and read from Ecclesiastes. Verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Verse 2. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you'll be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They're God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. That is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to govern you. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, Allow me to summarize what Paul says here, what we also find in 1 Peter 2, Titus chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is a huge subject in God's book, just need to know. First, those who follow Jesus as Savior and Lord, if you claim to be a follower of Christ, we should be the best and most obedient citizens anywhere to be found. We should be the best citizens in our country. We should be the best and the most obedient citizens in all of northern Michigan. That says this over and over again. Here, 1 Peter 2, Titus chapter 3. We should be the quickest to obey and submit to authorities. We should be known 
as people who are quick to obey whatever the authorities have to say. Even if we don't like their rules, even if we don't agree with their laws, even if we don't even like them. That's where a lot of this comes in. We just don't like them and maybe they don't like us. Or, I hear this one a lot, I didn't vote for them. I didn't see that as a clause. Well, you don't have to obey or submit if you didn't vote for them. And oh, by the way, nobody voted for Nero. Third, we should be model citizens. Because the world is watching us, and one of the things they're watching for us is are we obedient, are we submitting to the authorities, or are we rebellious and scrappy and disrespectful? Now before we head to Ecclesiastes, and we are going to get there in a moment, um, here's a question that usually comes up about right now. Well, what about the times when it's okay to disobey in the Bible? The idea being that we like to think, well, maybe I can get around what they're asking me to do and I can be disobedient like I remember they were sometimes in the Bible. Well, there were three major times in the Bible where you see disobedience against the governing authorities by godly men. You understand? Three major times where godly people chose to disobey their human authorities. First one, you can write this down because this will be good so you can answer your own question. Uh, in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego ordered to bow down and worship an idol of King Nebuchadnezzar. And when they refused to violate Exodus 20 verses 3 to 5, I'm not going to worship a false idol. Do you recall their consequence? Where did they get tossed? Anybody? In a fiery furnace. Now the Lord miraculously saved them, but they didn't know that. And, and sometimes in disobeying, sometimes you get burned up. Second uh, time in scripture you see disobedience is Daniel chapter 6. Uh, an order went out, nobody can pray, nobody can pray to any other god than uh, the Babylonian gods and Daniel, who was committed to prayer, who felt he had been ordered and commanded to pray daily in the privacy of his own home, gets caught praying. And do you recall the consequence? What happened to Daniel for disobeying the authorities? Anybody? What happened? He got tossed where? Lion's den. Again, the Lord miraculously uh, shut the mouths of the lions. Uh, I'll say it again. Sometimes the lions get fed. Third time in the Bible, disobedience uh, by godly people happens as Peter and John in the book of Acts are arrested by Jewish leaders, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, and they're ordered, you may not share about the risen Christ with anybody else in Jerusalem. You remember what they said to the leaders? We must obey God rather than, we can't not share what Jesus has done for us. We're going to just keep going on and sharing about Jesus Christ 
And the result was they were beaten and thrown into prison. Now here's the truth. In my 60 years on earth, I've never been ordered by a governmental authority to disobey Jesus and his word. And I suspect most, if not all of you, have never been ordered by a governmental authority to disobey clear instructions by Jesus in his word. So you just need to understand, for most of us, that's never happened in our entire lives. Now, let's be honest. There are some places right now, like China, in the Middle East, happens quite frequently. People are ordered by the authorities to disobey what God's word clearly says. But by God's grace, in our country, here in northern Michigan, it's rare, if ever, it's ever happened to any of us here today. So, here's the problem, though, is we look at those exceptions where you see some people like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Peter, and John, they disobey. We want to grab a hold of that and use that as a license to disobey. That, that's the truth. We look at those exceptions and we say, well, well, surely I can find a loophole here somewhere. There, there's somehow I can find because what they're asking me to do is inconvenient. What they're asking me to do is hard. It's making me wait, and I don't think I want to wait. I just want to do it. I want to disobey. And I just need to say this clearly. According to God's word, you're not just disobeying human authorities. We're disobeying God Almighty. He put those authorities in place. And when we disobey God Almighty, what does the Bible call that? Okay. Six of you understand what that's called, okay? When we disobey God Almighty, what is that called? It's called sin. And it's an awful testimony. And we don't reflect Jesus well when we say, no, no, I don't think I want to obey. I don't think, I think it's too hard and it's inconvenient. And you just need to know that's not an option if you want to do it God's way. Okay, now let's uh, go to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. That's our warm-up. That's our uh, appetizer, if you will. Romans 13, 1 to 7. Now we're here in Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And the king, Solomon, in his search for meaning and purpose and satisfaction, shares with us what he's found out about dealing with kings. And I think this is a great perspective. Uh, he is the king, and he's had people come before him as king for decades, and now he's going to share with us the wisdom that he's learned about dealing with kings and authorities and presidents and governors and dog catchers, and we could just keep going, all the different authorities that we have around us. We're going to read out loud together verses 1 to 9, Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Would you stand with me if you're able? Let's uh, read Solomon's wisdom about dealing with kings. Here we go. Who is like the wise, 
Who knows the explanation of things? A person's wisdom brightens their face and changes its hard appearance. Obey the king's command, I say, because you took an oath before God. Do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause, for he will do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Whoever obeys his command will come no harm, and the wise heart will know the proper time and procedure. For there is a proper time and procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what is to come? As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death, and no one is discharged in time of war. So wickedness will not release those who practice it. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There is a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Lord, uh, we acknowledge that words like obey and submit and yield don't come easy for most of us. And Lord, especially when we're talking about humans that oftentimes uh, we don't agree with or we don't like and we didn't vote for, it's really hard, Lord, to obey and not grumble and not gossip and not disobey. So Lord, as we dig into your book today as we uh, read uh, how you view life what attitudes and motives and words you want going into our hearts and minds. Lord, help us to adjust our lives, adjust our thinking, adjust our words, adjust our attitudes, and get them in alignment with your book, with your word, the Bible. And like we do every Sunday, Lord, we invite the third person of the Trinity to be welcomed today in your church. And I'm asking once again that your spirit and your word might come together in combination and speak and challenge and convict and change us from the inside out. And we pray all these things in the mighty name, the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords. And all the church family at Wildland Lake said with one unified voice, King Solomon was writing when the nation of Israel was at its strongest, its most influential, its most wealthy. So please understand, he's writing uh, at a time when he as king had the most influence on the world around him. And now he's going to give us reasons why we should obey the king when he speaks. And I believe this has application, especially when you put it together with Romans 13, reasons why we should obey and submit to the king 
to our governmental human authorities. So let me just get real practical. This is reasons why, and he's going to give us four reasons, uh, why we should obey our township officials. We'll start there. Why we should obey our county officials. Why we should listen to and submit to our state officials. And why we should listen and obey our federal officials. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 2. Here's the first reason we should obey. As citizens of our government, we're called to obey. That's what he says here. Obey the king's command. He says it right off the bat. <coughs> I'll say this to you, he says, because you took an oath before God. Jesus has placed us specifically, intentionally, in the exact place and location he had in mind for each of us. And the fact that you're here today, he placed us here in northern Michigan intentionally. And he has in mind for us here in this place to obey. We have this thing that uh, we often do. It's called the Pledge of, what is it? Get that up there, Daniel, if you can. Yeah. And uh, we pledge allegiance to the flag, which represents the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God. <coughs> Excuse me. Indivisible, liberty and justice for all. Okay? It's customary, and it was especially true back in ancient biblical times for citizens to be required to take an oath of loyalty. And I would argue that's what this is all about. It underscores how serious that we have been blessed by being citizens of our country. So uh, it's, it's an oath that we take to say, you know what? I am a citizen here in this country and I have obligations and I have blessings by being a citizen in the United States of America. I would go back to Romans 13.1, reminds us all authority is ordained by God Almighty. All authority. Starting with parents, moving on to bosses, teachers, police officers, DNR officers, IRS officials, you understand, all of them have been ordained by God Almighty. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 says this, Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. Why would I submit to human? For the Lord's sake to every human authority. Whether to the emperor, who was the emperor in power as Peter wrote. What was his name? We talked about it. Nero. Whether... Whether you're submitting to Nero as the supreme authority or to his governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong, commend those who do right. Every human authority, dog catcher, animal rights officer, submit and obey to the health inspectors, to the zoning authorities. But I don't agree with what they're saying. I don't like this person. They don't like me. 
They're not being fair. I, I would say one more time, submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority. That's our calling. Second reason, Jesus' followers are called to obey human authorities. Verses 3 and 4, because the king, the king, our God-given powers have the power to force us, to compel us to obey and submit. So just like Paul, he's saying, okay, you should do it unto me and for me and unto me, but you, you should also obey the king, you should also obey human authorities, because if you don't, they're going to make you obey. Verse 3, do not be in a hurry to leave the king's presence. Do not stand up for a bad cause. He's going to do whatever he pleases. Since a king's word is supreme, who can say to him, what are you doing? Give me your eyes. picture here is of someone who's gone before the king, and the king has decided upon a manner in a way that that citizen isn't happy with. You understand? He's given an edict that this man or this woman disagrees with, and now they're ticked. And he's talking about, you, you've just given your plea to the king, and he's ruled, and you don't like what he's ruled. And now you turn around and you leave the room in disgust, and you're angry, and you stomp out of the room, and perhaps you slam the door. Solomon says, just know this. <laughs> ancient kings have lots of power. Uh, ancient kings could have you executed for your little temper tantrum. Uh, today, you're not going to get executed, but you may have a lighter wallet if you get smart, if you get snippy, if you get ugly with a judge or a magistrate, the fine might go from $50 to $5,000. Are you understanding? He's giving us wisdom here and saying, uh, when you're before the judge, uh, don't, don't, don't go crazy, don't get angry, uh, be courteous, be respectful. Romans 13.4, we looked at it earlier, for the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, <laughs> if you're ugly, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. And bear the sword means they have authority up to executing people. Solomon is basically saying, when you're before human authorities, be kind, be courteous. And as followers of Jesus, I'll say it again, we should be the most courteous, we should be the most respectful of all the citizens in the land. Sadly, oftentimes just, just not true. Just not true. Third reason Christ followers should obey, verses 5 and 6, is because uh, who of us wants harm to come raining down on our lives? Who of us really says, oh yeah, let me have it, king, I dare you. Uh, none of us really wants that. And here's what he said, whoever obeys his command... Verse 5, will come to no harm. The wise heart will know the proper time, the proper procedure, the proper way to talk to a king, for there's a proper time, a proper procedure for every matter, though a person may be weighed down by misery. 
Um, the wise person knows the right things to do. We know, if you're wise, you should know we need to obey, we need to submit, we need to be respectful, and we'll suffer no consequences or harm. True story, three times in my office, I've met with men, and I don't know that this is uh, exclusive just to men, but in my time it was three men and they sat down with me and they felt the urge to tell me, uh, I just want you to know, I've come upon this new stunning idea and I wanted to share it with you. Maybe you'll want to preach about it. Okay, what is it? And they all approached me that way. And they said, it's, uh, we're followers of Jesus Christ and they've been listening to a preacher somewhere in a faraway state and he's explained to me that no longer do I have to pay taxes. I, 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 I've got it now and I understand it and I've got some verses and I just want you to know that this is new and this is wonderful and, and I think you should buy in and start preaching it at Walloon. Three times I read Romans 13, 7 to this man. And here's what I said. I said, can I just read you one verse? Sure. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. And all three of them said, yeah, but there's other verses that tell us we don't have to. Okay. Uh, sadly, all three of those men spent time in prison. All three of them. All three of them lost their spouse, their wives. All three of them lost the relationship with their families, their children. Very sad. But they were all convinced down to their bones, I don't have to obey. I don't have to pay taxes. I don't need to submit to the rules of this country. They're not fair. And all three of them paid a really high heavy price. Consequences were enormous. That's what Solomon's trying to tell us here. Fourth reason why followers of Jesus Christ should obey the authorities in our lives found in verses 7 and 9. Let, let me just give you the headline. We obey because we don't know the plans and the blessings that the Lord has in mind for us as we obey He's going to use our obedience to work in our lives, is the idea. Verse 7, here we go. Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone else what's yet to come? As no one has the power over the wind to contain it, no one has power over the time of their death, no one is discharged in times of war, so wickedness will not release those who practice it. Still talking about obedience and disobedience. All this I saw as I applied my mind to everything done under the sun. There's a time when a man lords it over others to his own hurt. Verse 7. We don't know the future. We don't know what's yet to come. Verse 8. We don't know the day or the hour of our death. Last part of verse 8. We don't know when war might break out around us. 
We don't have power over the wind. That's what he says next. We don't have power over death. We don't have power over war or peace. Verse 9, and we sure don't have power over wicked and evil rulers. We don't have that kind of power. He's telling us our duty, our responsibility as followers of Jesus is to obey and submit to the authorities that God's put over us. Unless they command us to do something that's clearly out of alignment with what God's word says. That, that, that happened again with, with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, Peter, and John. But unless something is clear, uh, our duty, our responsibility, he says over and over again, our duty is to obey and submit. Thirteen years ago, we were working through the book of 1 Peter. I don't know if any of you recall that, 2005. And I was saying similar things about authorities. After I preached that sermon, someone uh, wrote me a letter and they had uh, some questions, or at least one question. And I reread that letter and I, and I thought, you know, that, that, that was a good question. And, and this person wrote and they said, how do you respond when authorities that you're attempting to obey and submit to greatly harm and damage you? You trusted them, you trusted that God put them into place, but they failed you and they smashed you and, and they did great harm to you. And this person writes into their children. Because the truth is, and, and and Solomon just said this, sometimes we obey and we submit and we play by the rules and it doesn't go well. And I suspect some of you have had that happen. You, you, you played by the rules, you did it God's way, but the truth is it didn't go well. You got stamped on and crushed by the human authorities. They were wicked, they were evil, and... Uh, how do you respond to them then? I thought that question deserves an answer. Because sometimes we're going to face that. So would you turn with me as we close to the book of 1 Timothy. Uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2. Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor uh, living in the time of Emperor Nero again. You need to understand that. That's the context here. And Apostle Paul is giving a young pastor named Tim uh, some advice. And here's what he says. 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people. So you be praying. Where he's saying, Tim, I want... I want you and the people that you are pastoring to be people of prayer, praying for everybody around you. And now he gets specific. Verse 2, for kings. And the king in position over Timothy and Paul would have been Nero. For Nero and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all good godliness and holiness. Verse 3, this is good. 
and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. How does, how does that relate to authorities who stomp on us, who, who aren't good, they're not nice authorities, they, they misuse their power. And I would point you here, and it's amazing when you have some of those authorities in your life, in verse 2, and you start praying for those authorities who you know they're, they're not good people, they're in power for the wrong reasons, but God placed them in power. Apostle Paul advises Timothy, start praying for Nero. Start praying for Nero's men and governors. Start praying, first of all, that uh, they'll allow you to live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. Pray that Nero and his corrupt officials will let you worship Jesus and leave you alone. Is basically what he says. And then he goes beyond that. He says, uh, God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So even be praying for Nero's salvation. Did you get it? Pray that Nero and his officials and all of the different governors all over the ancient biblical uh, Mediterranean area, pray that all of them will come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So I want to close with a quiz. You up for a quiz? How many of you this last week, at least twice, prayed for President Trump and Vice President Pence by name? Twice. How many of you passed that test? Okay. Not many. How many of you prayed for Governor Whitmer? At least twice. Good for you. I had to look up her name. That's how <laughs> bad I, I... Yeah. How many of you prayed for Representative Bergman? Nobody. I had to look up his name. <laughs> uh, how many of you, this is a hard one, prayed this week for House Majority Leader Pelosi? By name, twice. Okay, there's like three. How many of you prayed for Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell? The Supreme Court. The county, how many of you prayed for your county sheriff? By name. Good job, Ron. How many of you prayed for your township supervisor? No township supervisors are not well prayed for. How many of you prayed for your boss? few of you, a few more of you, yeah. <laughs> Lord, please save my boss. They're making my life miserable. How many of you prayed for your child's teacher and or your child's principal? Grandchild, perhaps. You understand? Here, here's, I, I think this is the missing piece to the puzzle, is we need to be praying because I do believe our prayers change things. Do you believe that? Have you seen that to be true? So we pray because the Lord uses our prayers to change people and change circumstances. But more important, give me your eyes, 
Prayer changes us. Prayer softens our hearts. Prayer softens our attitudes so we're not so ugly and hard and cynical and prone to be disobedient. Lord, please help our attitudes and our hearts to shine bright. Might other people see Jesus in us on how we treat our human authorities. Treat them with honesty and respect and obedience. Closing challenge, and we're done. How many of you would say, you know what, 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4, um, I think I might be willing to give that a try. And I'm actually going to write it down, and I'm going to put it in a place, maybe on the other side of the Haiti team, and you're going to put both sides where you can see it. How many of you say, you know what, I'm going to commit to praying for the human authorities you've put in my life, and I'm going to give it a try for the next week. How many of you would say, I, I think I'd be willing to give that a go? Okay. How many of you would say, I don't think I even want to pray for it? No, you don't have to raise your hand. Yeah, really, so, we get so upset with them, I don't even want to pray. I don't even want to mention some of their names. I think the Lord's waiting for us to mention them by name and lift them up and soften our hearts. Let's pray. Lord, thanks for giving us human leaders, even the ones we don't like, even the ones who we didn't vote for and make us a little crazy. That's just honest, Lord. So, Lord, would you give us the faith to know that even those human leaders uh, that we don't appreciate, you put there with your sovereign and almighty hand. And Lord, we believe that you even use them, even some of the, the, uh, the evil and the ones that are there for the wrong, you use them to accomplish your plans and your purposes. And we trust you. Would you help us to begin praying for our authorities? Would you help us even this week to start lifting them up by name? Most of them need a personal relationship with your son, Jesus. And for sure, Lord, many of us need attitude adjustments. So even as we pray, soften our hearts. And we certainly pray that many of these leaders around us would come into a personal relationship with your son, Jesus. They need to be saved. And you say it clearly, it's good, it pleases you. you. You want all people to be saved. So I close by asking, are you saved? Not just talking about human authorities, are you saved? You're here today in church, but have you come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you been redeemed by the shed blood of Christ? Are you born again and alive in Jesus? Is there evidence that reflects that? Anyone as we close say, you know what? It's one thing to be praying for human authorities, our government officials, but 
I need this saving that's only found in Jesus Christ. Could that be you? I need this Savior that you've been talking about all morning. Pastor Jeff, would you pray for me right now? Is there anybody who'd say, just pray for me. I need this salvation that only Jesus can bring. Anybody in the balcony? Pray for me, Pastor Jeff. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We praise you for the cross and the shed blood. We rejoice in the empty tomb. Thank you, Lord, for instructing us so well from your book. Help us to be people who align our lives, our attitudes, our obedience with your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.